0: Today we are continuing our sermon series, uh, it is entitled, Jesus Revealed, and we are looking at stories and events, uh, things that really happened, uh, historical events uh, that were recorded uh, from the life of Jesus, they were recorded by the Gospel writer of Matthew, one of Jesus's 12 disciples, someone who traveled with Jesus, walked with Jesus, was called by Jesus, was commissioned by Jesus and in his gospel he records these different events. And so we have been journeying during Lent as we are headed to Easter and lifting up some of these stories that really kind of it's almost like I can see it like a camera like we're just kind of looking we're, we're saying Jesus who are you and asking through these events in his life to reveal to us his heart, his his message for us today and who he is. So, today our passage comes from Matthew 20, and we are listening in on a conversation that Jesus had with his disciples. Now, the significance of this, the timing of this conversation, they are on their way to Jerusalem. Now, throughout the Gospels, there are other times when they would be traveling to Jerusalem to celebrate the different feasts, but y'all, this is the last time. This is their last trip to Jerusalem. Because what awaits Jesus is the cross. And so as they are walking along the road, Jesus is continuing to teach the disciples. He's continuing to impart to them, really equipping them to be ready for when he is no longer physically present with them. And the thing that we are talking about today that we're looking at is this idea of power, of power and authority, influence, And sometimes when we think about power, uh, just the whole concept. You know, there's that There's that phrase that's well-known that says, you know, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And I think sometimes as Christians, we are a little hesitant to talk about power, that somehow if we were to seek power, desire power, that maybe somehow that is like not we're not supposed to do that, that somehow that's kind of unchristian or a little selfish of us. But Jesus is going to kind of unwrap this concept and 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 help his disciples understand, and you and I as his disciples listening in, kind of how can we... embrace power and authority and influence, because that's all it is, in a way that brings honor and glory to God. Now, you might be sitting here and thinking, well, Fran, I'm not really in a position of power. There's no one in my job that reports to me. But I think all of us understand what it is to either be under someone's authority or to be in authority. And I'm going to give you some categories that you might not have thought of. So if you are a high school student right now and you are volunteering in the iKids program and you ministry and say so you have a, you lead a small group. You have power, authority, influence over the kids that are in your small group. The words that you say, the actions that you do, the way you live your life You have the ability to influence a child's spiritual journey. You can encourage their heart through your words of affirmation. I believe in you. I see you. Uh, You can, by modeling Christ-like behaviors, you can be that person that literally sets the trajectory. But on the flip side... With that authority and with that power and with that influence that comes from that position, you also could derail a child's faith. faith. So by your words, maybe if they were harsh, if you're short-tempered, sometimes by your lifestyle, you actually have the ability to influence this child in a way that could impact literally the rest of their life. Um, we understand authority and power when it comes to the marketplace Uh, for many of us we either uh, you know we have jobs so there is someone who is over us we know what that feels like sometimes we have people that report to us if you employ individuals and there you have folks employees that report to you you have authority you have power over those individuals Uh, If they have a job description, if they don't do what, you know, is in the job description, you could uh, dock their pay, you could have someone fired, uh, or if you're pleased with their performance, you could have them promoted, you could recommend them for for a, a raise. You have power over that individual. Whether you are a soccer coach and you are a volunteer coach, whether you're a mom, you're a dad, um, every aspect of our lives, if there is a relationship with a group of people, there there is often this tension between those who have more power in the relationship and those who have less power and kind of a fancy name for that it's called a power differential there's a difference in power and so that's what we're talking about today is what do you do when you find yourself in a position where you have more power more authority more influence than those that God is calling you to lead how do you lead in a way that brings honor and glory to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So that's what we're talking about today. So I want you to, uh, there in your bulletins, you've got the scripture, and then we're going to have some slides that are going to come up here on the screen. And I'm going to set the story up. We are actually beginning uh, chapter 20, verse 17. So you don't have that in your bulletins, but I think they're going to get it up here in just a second so you can follow along. starts off here. Again, like I said, we are headed up to Jerusalem. Now, Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, and on the way, he took the 12 aside and said to them, and again, just reiterating this, he is. this is the last leg of the journey, y'all. This is the last, the last, you know, right before he's about to cross the finish line. So he's continuing to try to pour into them to prepare them for what's to come. Let's listen to what he says to the twelve. He says, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man, he's speaking in the third person, but we know he's talking about himself. He says, I will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. Now, this isn't the first time that he has told them this, but this is actually the third time that we have a record of this in Matthew's gospel. He said, I'm going to be delivered over to the religious leaders, and here's what's going to happen. They will condemn me to death. They will condemn him. Again, he's speaking in the third person. I will be condemned to death. And so I'm just imagining, this is the third time he has said this, is this sinking in their heads what he's really saying. I will be delivered over, condemned to death. They will hand me over to the Gentiles, and we know this would have been the Roman authorities. And he said, they are going to mock me, they are going to flog me, and then they are going to crucify me. The disciples would have seen a picture in their minds as he is describing this to them. They knew what it was to be crucified by the Roman authorities. And on the third day, he, speaking in the third person, will be raised to life. So the most uh, descriptive account that he has given them to this point, that he is, they are on the way to Jerusalem. This is what is about to happen to them in just the next several days or weeks here. Now, Matthew tells the story, and again, he was there. The next verse says in verse 20, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons. We know this would be James and John. She comes to him. Now, you, if you're reading this, and if you've never read it before, your first thought would be that she's going to say, Jesus, oh my gosh, you know, we love you. We don't want you to leave us. You know, some words of comfort. But that is not what she says. And it's a little, almost a little shocking here as you read it. It says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, and she kneels down in front of him and asks for a favor. And I guess as I listened to that, as I was reading it, I was thought. I don't know, I think my feelings would kind of be hurt if I just told somebody, okay, I'm about to die. You know, like maybe I have some terminal disease or something like that and I'm about to die. And then my kids come to me and they're like, okay, you're about to die. Well, hey then, can I have a favor? You know that ring that you've got that Grandmama gave us and it's really beautiful? Can I have that? You'd just be like, kind of hurts my heart here but that's a little bit what the way it reads it says that she came to Jesus with her sons and she knelt down and said basically may I have a favor now Jesus you know gracious he says well what is it that you want and she says and I guess can you just picture it she's kneeling in front of him and the inference is is that James and John are are right there nearby and she says grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. So she's asking when, it's like, okay, we know you're going to die. You've told us this before. You've promised us that there's going to be this coming kingdom where you're going to rule. And so when we get there, can, 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 you know, John sit on one side of you and James? She is asking, and I don't want you to miss this. She is asking that they would have preeminent power. Does that make sense? Jesus, you're number one, but I want my two sons to sit at your right and at your left. I want them to have the most power in your kingdom. And now, unless you think that this was just like a little bizarre and a little out of context, though, if you back up just a little bit earlier in Matthew, Jesus has pulled the 12 disciples away, and they're talking about following him and the sacrifices that they've made. And he tells them, he says, When I come into my glory, when I come into my glory, the end of the age, he said, There will be 12 thrones. Thrones, again, represent power, authority. There will be 12 thrones thrones and you will see you 12 who have followed me will be sitting on those thrones judging the tribes of israel now i know for me i don't completely understand what all that's going to look like and i don't completely understand all that he meant there but i do know this he is talking about power and authority ruling um and so when the uh the mother of the sons of Zebedee, James and John, Smon, when they come, when she comes and she makes this request, there is a context of why she is asking this. And so Jesus responds, and, and I like this. He says, "He says, you don't know what you're asking. He didn't, and, and I think this is critical for us to hear this, he didn't get on to her for asking the question. He said, You don't know what you're asking. You don't get what I'm talking about. There's a, a gentleman, and his name is Frank Blake. Uh, he is was the CEO of Home Depot back in 2007, and I was watching a, a, a podcast, a leadership podcast, and they and the uh, the person uh, doing it interviewed him, and he became the CEO of, of Home Depot in in 2007. And y'all might remember the economy was not doing well, the housing market was going down, and so he took over, you know, a home building uh, big box store during a season when people were pulling back on buying materials and things like that. But under his leadership, they actually did very well financially. And so in this interview, uh, he was being asked about his, his views about leadership. And he said, the thing that I think a lot of people don't understand is he said, when you're moving through your career, and he said, really what it's about, it is about unlocking one bigger set of problems after another. And he said it's almost like when you start off and you're in a job and he said someone gives you a problem to solve. And he said if you do that well, if you do that correctly, you know, you're successful. He said what happens is then you are given a larger problem to solve, and you do that successfully, and he said, so careers are like that. Everything is kind of preparing you for the next, and what I loved about that was he wasn't saying so that you can be in the big corner office, so that you can be the top dog, so that you can tell everybody what to do. It was like, no, it's about leading and serving, and so Jesus is kind of setting up this context here for them, and he says, you don't understand what, what true leadership looks like, true power, true authority. Um, and he says, and he asked him a question, and he says, can you drink the cup that I'm about to drink? Now, we know what was coming, and we know that the Garden of Gethsemane and the crucifixion, and he knows that the cross is looming. And they are trying to get it, but he, uh, they said, can you drink that cup? And they say, well, we can. They have confidence they have confidence, and confidence is not a bad thing, and, and that's what I love. He doesn't get on to them here, and he said to them, he said, You indeed will drink from my cup, and he said, But to sit at my right hand, to sit at my left, to have these positions of authority and power, he said, it, That's not even mine to give. He said, Those places belong for whom they have been prepared for my Father. So he kind of closes this conversation right here a little bit. He doesn't unpack it a lot, but he says, basically, I can't, I can't give you what you're asking right now. That is not within my power to do that. The next thing, verse 24, it says, But when the ten heard about this, they were indignant, angry with the two brothers. I love sometimes where the scriptures don't, that's, they don't give you everything. And so, I, you know, you can only wonder here and wonder, why were they upset? Why were they mad? Why were they indignant? Um, I can fill in the blanks from my own perspective, and maybe you can too. And I, and I don't know. Maybe were they indignant because it was like, Dad, damn it, they beat us to the punch. I wanted that spot. Or was it because they're thinking do you think you're better than us? I mean we've kind of all walked this journey together. We have all been with Jesus. we've all made the same sacrifices. Why do you think you deserve a place of preeminence among us? We are equals here. Don't be jockeying for power and authority and it says that they were they were angry with them. Jesus, Said to them, and I, and I wish I mean I, we don't know what tone he used, but I've always envisioned this as a, as as tender and kind and instructive. Uh, he he coaches. He lets them know this is not the way I, I want you to lead. This is not how. But he he gives them. But this is how. So he's very he's very instructive here in a, in a kind sort of coaching way. And he says he called them together, so so they're all they're all together now, and I can just see them, the twelve. And he's pulled them aside, and he said, "You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them." And and I don't want us to miss this. He starts off and he says, "You know, you have experienced, guys, what it is like to be under." that power of the Roman government right now. You know what it's like to to have someone in power and you feel disempowered. You don't feel like you have a voice. They are lording it over you. Uh, one translation says that people who, it says, you know, they're high officials. They, they rule like tyrants. It is as if they have got you under their thumb and they are just, you know, twisting and twisting and twisting. You know what that feels like. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel empowering. It doesn't feel healthy. It doesn't bring community. You know all the things that I'm trying to talk about, teach about. It it, it feels it feels uh, it doesn't feel safe when you know that that Roman that Roman guard can come and arrest you for no reason. That they can impact your future and you don't have a voice. And he says, you get what that feels like. And then he says, Not so with you. Not so with you. So he's described what they've experienced. And then he says, I want you to lead a different way. Not so with you. You know, when I think about kind of the, 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 um, the dichotomy there, the, the comparison, I don't know if y'all have ever had that experience. Because, one, we can understand the Romans, they're bad. But I don't know if you've ever had an experience where maybe you have been under someone's authority and they were just on an ego power trip and it was kind of all about them. And they found pleasure in lording it over you that they had the power and you had none. And they kind of led like a tyrant. I I know that I was talking to someone, uh, a good friend of mine, and they were working in an organization, and their boss was supposedly a Christian. And I, well, I I believe I, I I shouldn't have said supposedly. um, Their boss was a Christian, but this person told me he ended up leaving the organization and he said it's like I feel like every day like I'm in a whack-a-mole game like my boss you kind of never know what the clear expectations are and they're always changing and then all of a sudden she just comes down with the hammer and I just you know I don't know what's I don't know and uh and the same boss was described by uh, another person that I knew and they said yeah if you don't do everything just the way she wants it and sometimes you don't even know what she wants you it's like you will get raped. Right over the coals Uh, somebody else says she will nail you to the wall but this this particular leader created kind of this culture of fear and where you just felt like everybody was kind of ducking for cover all the time and so what happened was but this particular person, and, and you've probably seen it or maybe you've experienced it, there was a lot of turnover in her area. There's a lot of, you know, people would come in, they'd work for a while, but then once you got under that style of leadership, it felt so unhealthy, it felt so bad, that people would, as soon as they could, and could find another job. I mean, that was not uncommon, That there was just a lot of turnover, which again, hurts productivity. It hurts effectiveness. Uh, this, and so that's what, that's what I think he was saying here. it says, you know and you've experienced that kind of tyrannical style of leadership, and I want something different. When my kingdom, when we are, you know, you're setting up the leadership of the church, you are being leaders, you have power, you have authority, I want it to look different. And here's what he tells them. He says, instead, whoever wants to become great among you, you must be your servant. And, and what I like about this was he said, it's okay to want to be great. It is okay to want to have influence. It is okay to want to have authority. It is okay to want to have power. But what do you do with it? Do you see yourself as those that you are leading, that they are there to serve you, to make your life better, to admire you? Or do you see yourself as I am there to serve my employees, my team, my small group leaders, and I am there to lift them up, to raise them up, to be stronger and better than they could be without my leadership. Am I here to help promote the mission of the organization and as a leader and as a person of influence that I'm here to say how can we as a team how can we cross that finish line together how can we be you know in this how can I help you what do you need is that is your style of leadership so that it's all about me and my advancement and you are just my peons to help me get there you'd never say that but we've all seen it Or am I here to say, how can I lift you up to be stronger than you would otherwise? How do I see who you can become and make sure you have all the tools you need to get there? So whether it's a mom, a dad, a soccer coach, an employer, a small group leader, what is your mindset when you walk into the room? Is it about you or is it about the other person? He says, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. And then he gives an example. He said, "Look at me, guys. Look at me." He said, "Just as a son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many." And so Jesus is saying, he says, "Look at my life. I have all power and authority that has given has been given to me by the by the Father." Yes. I mean, he could Jesus with a word of his mouth could, you know, wipe us all out. But he says, "No, I am here to serve you, to lift you up, to show you love." And so, I think that's what he is saying here: is like, "Yes, one day, Peter, James, John, you will be the leaders in the church. You will be those that person that people are looking to to show them the way, to remind them of my teachings." But when you get into that position, it is not about you. It is all about me and it is all about helping people discover who it is that I am and what I've called them into. So that's just kind of you know the, the, the package there, the, the scripture. I want to give you a couple of examples if I can to try to help flesh this out in, in modern day life because I know you know we want to think about okay well what about me? How do I live this out? It's, I mean it's okay to say, okay, this is my heart, but what does that look like um, when I am leading? So a story, uh, just to kind of illustrate this. Before I became a clergy person, uh, this is kind of a second career for me, something that I have done later in life. I haven't always been uh, on staff at a church, but for, for ten years, I worked with a nonprofit in Columbus, Georgia, and as a part of that uh, position that I held there, that my employment there, I was the director of the Center for Servant Leadership. So we had a philanthropist there in Columbus, Georgia that he really had tried to practice servant leadership in his company and the companies that he was associated with. And he wanted to teach those values, those skills, those principles to others in the Columbus community and eventually globally and around the world. And so for seven years, I worked with uh, Mr. Bill Turner and this was our mission, my directive, to help facilitate an understanding and teaching the skill sets. And we worked with a range of people. Um, We had one client that was a Fortune 500 company that was listed numerous times uh, as one of the top places to work in America. They were a global company. We also worked with high school students, with college students, worked with mom-and-pop businesses who had, you know, 8 to 10 employees, just really the gamut. And it was such a a joy and such a privilege to be able to do this. But one one experience that I had that was really eye-opening for me, because I think sometimes as you grow up, you know, in the church, just like of course this is how we lead it should never be about me but we were doing some consulting with some business leaders who um, were from overseas. They were from a. Um, it, this was after the, the the Soviet Union had collapsed, and it was the um, the Rotary Club had brought a group of business leaders over from a, a country that, that had been in you know under the communist regime, and they were trying to learn best practices from companies in America. So I was invited to be a part of the training and the dialogue. And so we had been teaching about servant leadership. We had been talking about you know it's not Lord it over people, but it's by serving people and helping, you know, being uh, generous with your knowledge, helping grow people to become the best that they can be, so anyway, we've had a couple of days doing this, and we're working through translators, and uh, and so I'm sitting there, and I can watch their faces, and you just, you know when people aren't tracking with you, you just, you know, kind of see that look, but anyway, but at the end of it all, one of the translators, you know, one of the gentlemen uh, made a comment, and the translator translated it for us, and here's what he said, and I it just, it kind of blew me away. But he said, so what you're telling me is that I am here to serve my employees and that I should help them to grow and to, you know, take on more responsibility, take on more power, take on more authority. And that's my job to help them rise up in the org chart. And he said, but what if then they pass me. You know like what if they what if they surpass me? What if they end up being so good at their job that they basically take my seat on the bus. And so for him his his mindset was I've got to keep the people that report to me down because they are a threat to my economic well-being. They are a threat to my position in the organization. And so we were like No, but if you look at the research that's out there on on leadership, what we learned is that leaders who lead with humility and trying to say what's best for the organization, what's best for the mission, how can I empower you, how can I help you, that those companies actually thrive, and they do better. And so if you're here in the org chart and you're helping grow everybody up, you just all move along together theoretically. But you could just see it in his eyes. He couldn't quite wrap his head around it. And uh, so that is one example, and I think that as we live this out, a part of what we're called to do is think about any influence, any power that you have and the people that you are in their world, you know, that you kind of have impact over them, think about not what can they do for me today, but what do they need for me today? And some of that takes really getting to know people, listening to people, listening to their stories, knowing what their skill sets are, inviting them to tell you what's working for you, what's not working for you. Um, I had a boss that I just was the... to me, you know, no one's perfect, but he really modeled this for me, and this is just a real subtle thing that he did, but I thought, that is so smart, and I am going to try and take that practice with me, you know, as I continue to grow uh, in my life, my career, but when it was time for performance evaluations, I don't know if y'all have ever gone through those, sometimes they can be a little scary, but you know, your boss is sitting there in the chair, and he's got the the 10 things, or she has the 10 things, how did you do, you know, rate me on a scale of one to five, so I was getting ready to go in into my first performance evaluation with this particular gentleman. And, um, but here's what he gave me. He said, now I want you to evaluate me and he had some different care, you know, things to check off, and he said, and I want you to be honest, and he said, what I want you also to tell me is, what do I not know? What What do you know that I don't know? What could I be doing better? What's working for you? H- the way I'm leading, is that, is there anything that I need to change, anything that I need to do better, uh, anything that's frustrating you about my leadership style, and so, you know, this is my first time, and it's like, I'm not about to tell you anything negative whatsoever, because I could get fired, you know, you just don't go in and tell your boss, well, actually what I'd really like is, you know, and I don't think you're doing this well, I mean, I was like, of course, in my mind, I'm thinking, of course I'm not going to say anything negative, so I give him all these wonderful accolades, and you're doing wonderful, and I love working here, and all that, and then he just sat back, and he said, no, uh uh-uh, he said, that's nice, thank you very much, he said, that doesn't help me get better, he said, now I need you to tell me the truth. And I was like, can I really tell you the truth? And he was like, you can tell me the truth. And so I did. I was able to share with him some things that I thought, well, actually, this is a little bit frustrating. And he was like, okay, thank you. That's really helpful. I'm going to see what I can do about that. But that just blew my mind. That just blew my mind. And and the reason it blew my mind was because I thought, here you are inviting feedback and creating an environment where it is safe to be truthful. It is safe, and you're not. Gonna, there's not going to be retaliation. And so as an organization, though, we were not perfect. I mean, I felt like there was this really great camaraderie, team spirit, and culture that I think helped us to be more productive as an organization. So kind of wrapping it all up, I mean, that's really what I think Jesus is talking about here today, is he's not rebuking the disciples for wanting to have influence, and I think that it's something that he would have us hope for, to seek for, to say, hey, I want to serve, and I could make a difference in the world, but he's saying, but how do you do it? You do it through love. Imagine, um, you know, what it would be like um, if you thought about your sphere of influence and tomorrow morning you ask those that you lead and you said, how can I help you? What do you need from me? How can I help you be more successful? Think about the impact that that's going to have on your team and your culture um, as we live into practicing servant leadership. Let's pray.